Hello and welcome to Tell Me About Your D&D Character, a podcast where people get a chance to talk about their characters from different role-playing games. I'm your host Jeremy and today I'm talking with Dante, the sound engineer at Arkenford, which is an awesome program for game masters. You can build maps and um, campaigns and battle maps, basically everything in there. It's fantastic. I try to use as much as I can myself and uh, we talk a little bit about that in the show too. But I had a really good time talking with Dante about his ideas in relation to character creation, but there is a mild content warning on this episode because we do touch on some concepts around various addictions, so if you feel that might trigger you, feel free to skip this episode because we honestly won't mind. Stay safe. That's the important thing for you, um, and we want to support that here at the show. Uh, and if you stick around to the very end, there's a really cool um, ad from an awesome podcast I've been listening to as well, which we're doing some cross-promotion with. So let's get into it. No, it should be fine. It should be fine. How's things going? Okay, cool. Yeah, pretty well, thank you very much. Um, just uh, finished up that Goblins of Zarth thing, and we got a couple more um, videos to just quickly edit them and pop them up on YouTube. But other than that, for the rest of the year, it's looking pretty cruisy. That's good. Well, yeah, there's only yeah. a couple of weeks left. Exactly. Yeah. As... So you were mentioning before about Goblins of Zarth, and uh, maybe since a lot of your our listeners aren't going to have really encountered you before, they you're kind of on the back end of the dungeon of distancing, distancing events that we had the um, the Blood in Woodhaven, and then the Goblins of Zarth event. Um, maybe you tell us a bit about your role with Arkenforge. Oh, okay, so um, we've been working together with Arcanacon, who's got a great history with role-playing games um, and tabletop role-playing games, uh, but not much of a technical background. And mm-hmm. um, as far as I know, we are the only uh, tech background tabletop RPG company in Melbourne um, that can help... Um, initiatives like that because we have mm-hmm. a software the master's toolkit and that's basically a vtt but to be used in person and um for these so events, for some people uh, might not know vtt is um virtual tabletop oh yeah yeah so yeah um virtual tabletop is um usually done just with um completely di- digital um background so you you got mm-hmm. your screens you play a game online but what we're trying to do we're trying to use miniatures uh on a flat screen and um have an in-person digital tool that you can use literally at the table and yeah. that sort of suits these these low-tech conventions they they mm-hmm. don't play games online they play in person and now we're just taking that whole concept into the online world a bit so people might be a bit more familiar with something like um, Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds, where there is a, a digital map. But I feel that Arkenforge kind of goes a, a step beyond um, what what's available in, in those programs. Oh, yeah. So we, we're trying to um, do the maps as well, but add a bit of animations here and there. And um, we're also working on, especially next year, is really our big step towards integration of physical elements in there so we work with infrared overlays so you would put down your miniature on your um tabletop anywhere or on your tv you have like a little infrared overlay and then you put down your miniatures and it registers their uh place and then turns them into a digital token so when you move your miniatures on the map it actually updates the line of sight and all that kind of stuff so it's really fun but um when it comes to um the dungeons and distancing event and um the goblins of zarth event uh the organizers felt like this tool would be a great um addition to to their online repertoire because they on, originally didn't want to use a, mo- a more complicated VTT. They didn't want to have the players to have to interact um, with the software or install mm-hmm. anything on their system. So mm-hmm. basically, we're just projecting maps. Uh, the DMs are controlling these characters and then um, still doing a great deal of um, theater of the mind, but just yeah. supplementing that with mood images and other things like that. So that's how we sort of slot into this this perfect little hole there. Yeah. So, I mean, even just bringing in music and and sound effects, to even to a still image, can just 
elevate um, elevate the game experience. And I think that's what we found in Dungeons and Distancing and Goblins of Zarth. Just those little elements of of additional material made it a more of a, a real experience for people who are playing, and particularly in the middle of a lockdown where we were just like, well, we don't get to see the miniatures on the tabletop as much anymore. I completely agree. And the other thing is, like, if we're talking specifically about Dungeons and Distancing, most of you had really good microphones as well. So if you have, like, these studio <laughs> microphones and then you have, like, a low hum, just a, a, a low file tone in the background... Um, in an online game that just changes everything it it helps so much with the immersion and then if you just put on a couple of mood images you immediately have people completely transformed to your world so yeah the soundscapes also helps a lot and good audio yeah one of the things i loved knowing the back end or not the full back end of, of arc and forge is that you could as a dungeon master press a button and the fireball sound would play or you could have just a little bit of extra while your description is going on and it melds so beautifully into the um into the music and the the sounds that are already occurring that you don't even notice but it's in the back of your mind that yeah you hear a horse whinny and you just hear the horse whinny and it feels like having played at a table where that's happening with um with ben burn my colleague on of dyson dms when he says it, you don't even notice, but it feels like he's just predicted exactly when that will occur. And it just makes this beautiful art, almost. We have a user who um, created this little voice recognition uh, plugin. So basically mm-hmm. what happens is that um, in, in the beta version, if you, if you give that a try, we already have this hyperlink. So any uh, sounds or any sound effects on, in the toolkit can be linked to a spoken word. So if oh, they just awesome. say, okay, so, so your, your adventurers are just gathering around the camp and you hear the little crickets in the background, the tan flapping and all that kind of stuff, just by saying those words. So that's also an interesting experiment for next year. So maybe you don't even need to click a button anymore. You just need to say the right words. Oh, I just love that. I can he- see it now where the dungeon master goes, and then there's a fireball and you just have that roar of flame come through. Exactly, with uh, a nice explosion at the end. Yeah, and it's oh, that would be wonderful. I love that idea. But how long have you been? Has how long has Arkham Forge been um, doing things like this? Obviously, Dungeons and Distancing kind of was a, a movement away from what you've been doing previously. But how long have you been around altogether? So the whole idea formed in 2017, and we have been playing D and D with my friend. And it just so happened that the friends I was playing D&D with were, um, one of them was a programmer, um, the other one was writing an actual um, module, so he was very well versed in the back end of, of um, uh, fifth edition and other role playing games as well. I myself was working with audio, so mm-hmm. I, I did a fair bit of recording and I was fairly well versed in Photoshop and other things. Um, and um, our fourth friend has been a carpenter and he has been experimenting with um, these new TV tables, which at the time really wasn't that widespread yet. Um, so we just put our things together and um, uh, just for our games, we started uh building a little module just for the audio because we we use sirenscape or we used uh, dungeon painter studio for maps and and um there are a great deal of great software out there but we just needed something that really communicates to each other so we wanted to have something that if i put this down this fire on the map i'm able to just start like a fire um uh, ambience in the background immediately so we wanted to do these things to communicate to each other and that's how the the Arkham Forge uh, software so, sort of started off and then we we decided that okay this kind of works for us but it would be nice to turn into a pro- product and it's something that people would want to use so we started a Kickstarter and um, yeah we we went uh, pretty deep into it well it, it does feel kind of like the the thing that's always going on in your head when you hear about how Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop RPGs work, that you have this little map, but you always imagine moving the miniatures around and you see the fire pop up and you see the doors opening. And it, it's really 
it's surprising that no one's really done it before. It's like it was kind of a, a everybody at the table at your table had the skills necessary to to build this. Yeah, when we look at the demographic, especially with um, tabletop role-playing uh, gamers, there's quite a lot of people working in the IT industry. Quite a lot of people are very creative-minded people, and they, they got the right tools for this kind of thing. And you see passion projects basically starting week by week. So there's really no shortage of software like ours when it comes to it. But when it comes to a continuously updated product that, sort of doesn't die down as a passion project there is very few of them most of them are very business minded so it always comes down to yep uh, people are actually getting paid so they are getting things done week by week they prioritize this project over other things that might happen to them in life um and uh, it comes down to a, a well fleshed out by corporate product that doesn't really move ahead um, fortunately, Kickstarter has been pretty generous to us, so it's been great that even though ours was a passion project, we had day jobs next to it. Yeah. Um, the funds just lasted enough, so we could finish the prototype properly, which was able to make money. So. Mm-hmm. I reckon that's where the, the the difference is that, yes, when it comes to our community and when it comes to the, the product, it very much looks and feels like a passion project, but it's got that edge of professionalism to it as well as, as big studio stuff. Yeah, because I think that's what most people are used to, the, the, that passion project that one person's built in their basement of um, the gaming room and the gaming table where it might sometimes double as a poker table, sometimes it's a, an RPG or just gaming or um, board game table entirely. Yeah, absolutely. You've been, um, you had this idea around the Dungeons & Dragons table. Um, that was 2017, I think you said, so about three years ago. Have you been playing for much longer before that? Was this kind of... A, a build up of the idea over your lifetime of playing game uh, role playing games or was it just sitting down at the table and realizing hey we can build off this experience i've just i've just discovered yeah so i'm i'm coming from a, a lab background when it comes to role playing games so it's for me the last step in in um tabletop was actually sitting down around a table and play before I was just going to LARP events in Europe because I'm, I'm from Hungary and Hungary had quite a few uh, big LARP events at the time in 2007, 2008 when we were doing it. And um, coming to uh, Melbourne, just before coming to Melbourne, um, I was in a traveling actors group and they used uh, tabletop role-playing games as a tool to uh, quickly put themselves into different situations and different characters, and they really embrace the role-playing aspects of of these games rather than the the fight or mechani- mechanism. Mm-hmm. So, even in a fight scene, it was more about um, the description of their feelings or how this battle came about and and enacting on those feelings. Um, which was pretty great. And and that's what sort of uh, ignited that little fire. And coming to Australia, I was working um, in hospitality and um, a lot of hospitality, um, a lot of people in hospitality also want to hone these exact same skills, talking to people, just put into a, um, an interesting situation as a as a server and, and, um, and just practicing their language as well. And we started playing D&D over here in i think 2012 we started our little group and that's going still pretty strong with weekly games so that's that's a while ago i mean that was pre-fifth edition uh for what system were you using back then were you doing fourth or did you go back earlier so with the actors group we were playing 3.5 and Mm. um we started playing fourth edition here in australia so that's what that was the first time we've given it a crack and to be honest with you as a i know that it's a very controversial um Mm -hmm. uh, edition for most most players but for me as a first time dm um with the tools available it was a fairly easy system to start with yes we did feel limited after a while and we we added our own little homebrew solutions to things but then fifth edition basically solved all of our problems with that system yeah i think that's kind of what they found that it was an easy system to learn but it didn't have enough to go on with well 
that's why they moved to fifth edition because it's both easy to learn and you can keep you never have to really go beyond those three core books if you don't want to i completely agree and they had this thing i'm not sure if that's part of the core system or not but they had these ability cards that people use it's very very close to um like MMO RPGs when you just you know hover over one of your abilities it gives you like a little card with all the information on it yeah and fourth edition to my knowledge started this sort of tradition and for players as well that was very easy to see okay these are my spells what I can use anytime and then my red cards are the spells that I can only use once a day and then um or sorry the the gold cards and the red cards are the ones I can use once per encounter so they were sort of uh, very easy for them to get into as well. And built on that, 5th edition was super easy to understand. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of what 5th edition has done really well, that it is. Uh, you can just walk into it completely blind, or if you've got any knowledge of the previous editions, it is so easy to scaffold in and learn, which is a great way of getting even more people playing, which I kind of guess is the... the um, the logic behind it but i want to go back to to the larping days because the larping that i've always encountered and read about i haven't actually larped myself um i had a a, a um, partner who decided to run a wheel of time role-playing game which kind of turned into a larp with our friends after about 20 minutes and that was a little confusing for everyone but <laughs> what system were they using for that? Was that um, built in a world around Dungeons and Dragons or was it something more like a Vampire the Masquerade LARP, which I know is quite um, popular as well? Or was it something else entirely? It, it was something, um, a little amalgamation of all of that because Hungary, um, especially in the past, there, there was not much... Um, uh, English-speaking population there, and um, the Dungeons and Dragons got huge into seven in, in the seventies, and Hungary sort of had its own little version of it, a Hungarian uh, system called uh, Magus, which has been heavily influenced by the third edition or late second edition of of Dungeons and Dragons, and um, since at the time with the first edition of that game. It has been, yeah, very similar to second or uh, early third edition. As time went on, um, the systems kind of um, started started to develop on their own. And um, yeah, thirty years later, when or twenty something years later, when we were yeah. actually playing this system, it was very different now um to dungeons and dragons but if we compare it to fourth or fifth edition i still feel like there is plenty of improvements to be made but we played <laughs> with that that system so imagine imagine it as um if pathfinder didn't turn out to be that good as it did <laughs> that's that's <laughs> our hungarian system for <laughs> for dungeons oh, and dragons great. yeah so it, it had its own it mainly what was more important in our lab games um, were the law, and the law was rich enough that someone who just came into the system, you know, in lab if you hit the the arms, then you take uh, that much damage. If you hit the torso, uh, you get uh, more damage. You have basically three or five HP to work with under any circumstances. So there's not much math involved, and it's more just getting those foam swords and try to try to hit your opponents as many times as you can. So there, there wasn't that much reliance on, on game systems, so to speak. Yeah, it really was more of the world building and the, the character aspects, the actual role-playing element of it. Very true. And when it comes to magic as well, what I really liked about these LARP events is that they were very low magic worlds, um, obviously because they didn't want to end up with painted tennis balls as, as fireballs yeah. and just having someone shouting fireball as they're throwing red tennis balls around the field. Yeah, um, I feel that when you but, start to throw tennis balls at somebody, there is that element of you may actually hurt them. That, that's true. Uh, but it also heavily, okay, it's arguable worse or, or better, but it's heavily <laughs> immersion breaking, which, which, I, which yeah. I found there. Um, to be to be good that they didn't use it's rather the rituals and fortunately a fifth edition as well has quite a bit of significance when it comes to rituals so players were able to write songs of their own um, 
and then um, make a ritual around a campfire or anything else, and then that would give buffs to players, so extra HPs or um, double um, uh, damage on their weapons or something like that. So people who wanted to get involved in the magical um, world, they they had the potion brewing or these uh, rituals, and that, if anything, helped the immersion even more, which Ooh, was fantastic. That's a great idea. I love that idea. It's um, like you were saying, it really does create more of an immersion and that this music, particularly if you're playing a bard or something like that, that your music actually does have these magical capabilities. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've really enjoyed that. And, and that um, uh, immersion uh, was that was something that was my cornerstone of my tabletop experience as well. That's why I find it so important to use the audio, use mood images and all these external things that, yes, uh, your tone is very important, your language is very important, um, and you have to be articulate as a dungeon master to to um, explain the world that your players are stepping into. But if you are able to also bring in these other senses, you know, you're hearing a bit more and your visuals, then you've really got something going there. Yeah, I feel that there's always a, a rule of writing that you use at least two senses in each descriptive text. And that applies very much for dungeon masters too, to say, well, this is what you smell as you walk down the corridor. This is what you hear. This is what the air feels like. And I feel something, that immersion, when you can take that work away from the dungeon master, it makes it a lot easier in other areas. That if you can show them, this is what the corridor looks like, that's when the dungeon master can start to think, well, this is what they're smelling. This is what they're hearing. And they've already got that image. So it starts to become that full experience that, that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. It's not an easy job you guys are doing for no. a living, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you've played over a number of different for, oh, systems, essentially. You've had the LARP, you've had um, Dungeons & Dragons 4th edition, now 5th edition, and 3.5 as well. Have you gone into any other systems? Oh, there's plenty of systems now that are um, really worth getting into. A lot of um, new indie um initiatives are, are just absolutely fantastic i don't know if you heard about parcelings parcelings is something yeah. you should definitely check out oh wait i'm, th um, I'm thinking of wardlings what's parcelings um parcelings i'm quickly gonna because i, yeah. I want to do it proper justice and i'm just gonna quickly bring it up it started as a ki kickstarter oh so many of the great ones do yeah and it it did fantastically well so it's a deck-building tabletop role-playing game. Oh, cool. um, it's about identity, collaborative word magic. Um, uh, it says, so the description to it, in a world not too unlike our own, strange new tattoos have begun to emerge and mundane reality begins to melt away into twisted reflection of itself. Um, as with most good Kickstarters, um, immediately when you look at the art, it's fantastic. It's more about defining your own character and um, uh, basically bring it to life. Um, when, when it comes to the deck building nature of it, um, it takes place in a world like our own, but with, with one major difference uh, to some worlds have literal, so some words have literal power. And, and I, I don't know how to properly pronounce this, but parsis sites, I think. Um, Parasites? Uh, it's, <laughs> I'm not sure. It, it sounds cool. Parts, yeah. They, they want to go for parasites, but with the parceling sort of parasites. Oh, yes, 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 um, yes, yes. Yeah. So it's uh, swarms of ravenous ink-like paras parasitic organisms um, which emerged into the world and they're causing irreversible changes to society and our ecosystem. So it gets pretty deep and pretty interesting, but I really, really recommend checking it out. Um, yeah. And then um, when it comes to like more traditional um tabletop stuff uh dungeon world is what we've given a crack um the other day so dungeon world is really fantastic for uh collaborative world building so instead of the dm needing to flesh out every little bit of of your world you actively have mechanisms for your players to contribute to that and to add to encounters and um 
cities and all that kind of stuff and you're also rewarded for those um, initiatives so um, I know that especially probably um, world building DMs wouldn't really go into that kind of thing because they like the players to um, discover the world for themselves what they have created but if you are looking for more of a um, no background no prep but really fun game. Dungeon World is something I really recommend as well. It's such a good way to spark imagination because I feel that when I'm creating a world, I tend to just sit down and have a couple of ideas and then I'll get stuck with, okay, but what's the name of this city? And then I'll go down a rabbit hole of figuring out what the the French word for river is with, you know, the, the other origin of something else. And I'm, I get lost for three hours. If I can turn to a player and go, what's the name of this river? And they have to come up with it on the spot. And then I write it down and that's the name of the river forever. That's a great way to share the world that you've got. And I just, I, it's, a, it's a great idea. I, I'm going to have to bring some of that element into my games a little bit more, I think. If you do that in, in D&D as well, if you listen to these little... Um, a bit these little information crumbs that the players are hinting around and you're a note-taking dm then you will have loyalty to your game like nothing else mm. that people not just turn up for your weekly games but they won't leave you alone for weeks is is is, is what i found about oh but i want to figure out more about these things as soon as they have something to you know cling on to and they have influenced the world um that is that is something i find as a player um that is something i uh my most memorable adventures and campaigns and characters were uh, the ones where i felt like as a player i have been leaving my mark you know around and my actions had consequences and well not even consequences that you're you you can have influence on this universe my my go-to in that situation is to give them a house or a pub or a business or something to run very early on and say this is yours you can sell it you can run it adventures will happen because of it um but the point is that this is your stake this is your little claim to this universe and you can do whatever you want with it and the world will keep going around you but that's where you exist in it yeah yeah it's definitely a great idea i remember when um metal gear solid 5 came out and i was pretty obsessed about that game <laughs> it, it what they, the thing that they have changed um comparing to the previous ones that you had a mother base so you'd really still had to go around and explore your missions and and uncover bits of the lore but there have been this little island that was yours and um, the things that you collected from these missions and stuff like that, you could um, add to this on your own bit of this world. And I, when I was running 5th edition at the time, I was also wanting to have like a little mother base for the players and they enjoyed building, building that little bit of it. And then, you know, that can be attacked. So your players yeah. might be called back because something is happening and a whole storylines can just evolve just from that little fact that okay there is a bit for the players in the world that really matters to them and it would be a shame if it would loot, like get lost or something oh you have a villain that they didn't kill come and loot their trophy room oh the players will go they'll they'll hate you. they'll go after that guy immediately exactly exactly it's a beautiful it's hook to, to reel them in exactly as as you as you as the evil dm is you are the bully who threatens their little little precious family in this world you know and and they will run and try to defend it with with the last dance of strength as well so yeah i like that i like that concept i would i haven't played one of your adventures before but i would be interested to to delve into that a little bit as well so um if you if you want i'm, I'm very open to like I, I would be very open to talk a little bit um about your strategies as well as um yeah. what's your unique twist into these things oh that's a good question what is my unique twist on an adventure um <laughs> I tend to, well, I've said this on a previous podcast that I tend to go with the, the slightly more Discworld feel 
to my adventures where these are very serious events, but that doesn't mean that there's not going to be a lot of humor along the way. And I'm willing to just accept that, that um, out of the box thinking with it. Mm-hmm. That um, I think one of my first adventures I ever ran was a town. They had to infiltrate a town. And of course, the first person goes, cool, splinter cell. I'm just going to sidle up the walls, legs spread and drop acid vials on people. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, you can do that. Let's see what happens. And I like to go with that that element of let's see what happens because either it's going to be really awesome or really funny. And sometimes that doesn't work with the more serious nature of what's actually occurring. Like, again, this was them infiltrating a town to save people who, who may have been dead, but it made for this really memorable encounter. And I just try to find the memorable encounter in each adventure so people will come back or tell their friends, guess what I did on the weekend? I raided a castle and I, I may not have even killed anything. I may not have found the best treasure, but I had a really funny line that had everyone else at the table laughing. Yeah, that's pretty great. Very often I find that um, people really try to create a mood um, and enforce that sort of mood onto onto the campaign. So no jokes allowed. Please uh, stop with that and, and try to mm. uh, conform more to this. But your method seems to be rather, okay, I'm getting my impulses from the players. And then yeah. just sort of, yeah, that's that's really good. I, I, like, I, that. I like to think it works. I'm not sure if it does every time, but it is, it's difficult because sometimes you're playing games with people who are all friends but have very different ideas of what they're going to be doing at the table. There'll be someone who will learn all the spells that they'll have and they'll be taking it very seriously and there'll be someone else who will call themselves after their favourite um after their favorite tennis player and be like, yeah, but I've got like a, a Rambo headband. And I'm just going to hit them with a stick all the time. It's like, you know what? Both are valid. I wonder why these people are going on the job together, but you know what? That's their, their decision. Yeah. You can, you can have some really wacky situations when someone is an yeah. avid role player and, and bringing yeah. in their revenge for their family. And the other person just wants to have their triceps to be bigger. <laughs> There's the great meme. Of, there's the great meme of the, um, or somebody's changed the the woman yelling at cat meme, and it's got the the party trying to have serious role play. Me with my tabaxi rogue who's going on the adventure to fund his crippling addiction to cheese. It's just it's, there you go. It's that exactly. There's all there's always one in every group, which kind of brings me to my next point. That you've played through a lot of these different systems. Do you find yourself drawn to a similar sort of character type in each one, or are you looking for a different um, personality each time you create a character? Unfortunately, I've fallen into the trap of I found a character personality which I enjoyed playing in a specific world, and I see that I'm recycling aspects of that character as I'm going on into completely different adventures as well. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing, but you go. Well, I was going to say it's not necessarily a bad thing either. I mean, tell us about the character. There's no good or bad characters. They're, They're good or evil characters, but not good or bad. Well, that's true. Um, so a, a lot of cliches are incoming. So just giving you a heads up. But for me at the time, especially creating these these things, it was a first for me. Um, do, you, but... do you use the same character name each time? Or is it just uh, this is the, the son of, this is the same character mold, but a different name on top? Um, I use the name format over and over. The name format is basically just a characteristic, a one-word description of the character. Um, mm-hmm. the, the character I used at the time was Crow. And with Crow, um, uh, I was trying to um, look into what, what crows are sort of... Um, how, how can I say like the stereotypical crow qualities um yeah. like the you know like the shiny things the the voice the black uh, but serious look to them uh, but there's a little bit of uh, mystery and sinister um about a crow but it's it's beautiful at the same time and then that was sort of the base idea I wanted to go with and then uh, in a in a different adventure I've got a character called Arrow so Arrow is also, you know, pointy, sticking to the point, just always 
uh, trying to get the the straight line solution to the bullseye. There's nothing, you know, sidestepping there. So I always start with this one word and then try to uh, get the base qualities right and then sort of expand on that. And what happened to Crow as well, the, the trait that I've been bringing to other characters as well is the uh, functional alcoholism. Now, it's definitely not a... Uh, a topic without controversies and I'm not trying to make any statements about it's a very serious issue currently in the world of being um, being battling alcoholism but that's something that um, for some unknown reason have been able to um, work with um, in, in a role-playing game I didn't want them to be you know perfect I didn't want them to be without their inner conflicts but I didn't want to um, have those conflicts coming from other characters I, I wanted them to be battling themselves for something to to fight with something very serious but something that doesn't necessarily br bring the whole mood down for the party as well so it's not like I'm, I'm bringing my horror story and and my absolutely um, you know heart cringing uh, background with me um, I am this character who, yes, when there's a natural one, um, then things kick in from, from the addiction, you know, handshaking, uh, forgetting things, not being able to, to function uh, 100%. But when there are natural 20s as well, uh, when it comes to the stimulants, the health potions and all those kind of things, they can also be explained through this addiction and i and i and i got fascinated by it i i've really enjoyed playing that that sort of character and that's what seems to be bleeding from the from crow going through arrow and other characters i've been in playing as well there's always an addiction element to to the character whether it's gambling whether it's alcohol whether it's um other things uh, stimulants um that sort of thing lingers around is that something that you start the character with when you create them? Like they're already functionally an alcoholic when they start or addicted to gambling? Or is that something you find develops over time that they'll go into the into the tavern and go, oh, a dice game and really get into it, that you build it as you're at the table? Or is it just this is part of the backstory and I'm going to develop it and figure out how they function from that? Yeah, I, I feel like... Um when it comes to the base qualities just the one word uh, these mm -hmm. flaws are usually not in there i'm um, the usually the situation yeah. presents itself so if you start with a tavern yes you're close to alcohol you're close to gambling you're close to people who want to feel pain and just want to cause a, a crawl uh, or a pub fight um mm -hmm. so there there are just so many things that uh facilitate something like that in a tavern that it's it's crazy but when it comes to just out there in the forest uh, collecting mushrooms you know or going for anything these these situations usually present itself even in the in session zero or the first and i immediately start okay thinking okay that that should be a good flow for the character that should be something that that um that he or she could be battling I think that's one of the, the important things with a character like that to have that session zero because you can go to everyone else at the table and saying, hey, I'm interested in playing a character like this. Um, would anyone have a problem with it? Because addiction in particular can be something that other people do find triggering and it would be oh. kind of necessary to, to check in with everyone else and make sure it's going to be okay. Yeah, and, and I completely agree that session zero is is something that I would never want to miss from uh, getting into a, um, a new group. I'm not really the convention role player, so I don't really go and, and sit at uh, just brand new tables all the time. Uh, and obviously, I wouldn't bring something like this into uh, us, um, that kind of situation as well if I'm just mm. starting off the bat. But since I've been playing uh, with the same sort of people, um, Session Zeros are really great to just walk people through of their um, limits and what they're willing to go into and what they list as taboos. Listing taboos is one of the most important things I, I feel like around the table. Mm -hmm. So you write down a list of themes or um, 
situations that you would not want to encounter in mm. in the game going forward. And then as a DM, you definitely stick to that list. That's like your little Bible of, of commandments. Yeah. And I generally find, because most people who play in a group which is going to have a session zero are pretty good friends anyway, you already kind of know these things and you usually feel pretty comfortable saying, you know what, I am not cool with children being murdered. I'm just oh, going to yeah. throw that out there. Everyone's Everyone knows this about me already, but I'm going to put it down on the thing anyway. So it's not too confronting to be able to say it because you do have that safe space to say it. Absolutely. And, you know, you grow as a person and you change as a person. I yeah. When I was playing in in um 2009 and 2008 i was not only a lot younger but a lot more inexperienced i had themes in my adventures that i would never ever bring back today at the table because um i found out more things about them i've been informed um or i just realized that this is not something that has a place uh, around my table and even if you're playing with the same uh, assortment of people for years these people will develop um, um, uh, a lot of you know a lot, lot of new knowledge maybe anxieties maybe things that um, they find offensive now that they didn't find 10 years ago or the opposite way yeah. and it's important to you know check the base uh, even year by year or adventure by adventure to make sure that these things are catered for hmm. I'm guessing Crow in particular would be someone that has developed over time um, in that regard as well. But have you are there any memorable moments from Crow that really just kind of stand out when you're talking about this is something that I brought from their backstory with being a functional alcoholic? Was there a moment when they reached rock bottom? Was there a moment when the dice just made it so that they were incredible? They had the, what is it, the, the drunk's luck that... Um, Mm -hmm. that God watches over uh, fools and drunkards. Um, was there something about that when you were playing them, I'm assuming it was a little while ago, that you yeah. always remember about this character? There, there are many moments. This, uh, this particular character I played for over a year and a half because the, mm. the adventure was, was quite a long one. And the, just having a character arc with your own character and getting to know your character a bit more is a fantastic experience itself. And I remember some highlights of it was that this this character started off not caring much about the world, not caring much about um, people's feelings or the individual as, as it is. Um, uh, this character was more after um, um, their own benefit, whatever... Uh, mission the crow was accepting had to be something that benefits um, either uh, monetary benefits or getting good payment for it or having a chance of you know robbing something valuable or getting the shiny thing uh, from the whole adventure and um, particularly nature was the one thing the crow didn't care about the trees um, um, the environment around um setting f um a, a forest ablaze just to um benefit um the current scenario was something that the crow would absolutely do <laughs> and then at the very end a year and a half later this character died giving its life um giving their life for a world tree to 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 save it from perishing and then so and and it's it wasn't a planned thing i i didn't want the crow to be good i wanted to have a neutral evil character that um at the evil part of this character was just caring about their own um and nobody else and then bringing it to the finale where okay we it's it, this character has been able to give his own life for something better was just a pretty cathartic for me i felt like that's a great character arc that's the kind of thing that you can never see coming at the when you create the character that you can't predict what's going to happen in any campaign but you can want it to occur but then to see it occur it's not just i mean it's that's epic that's the kind of yeah. story that we love to see in uh, in media and fiction 
Yeah, absolutely. And and now, obviously, looking back, there are many character arcs which are going the same way. And I see that in superhero movies to anything that, yeah, there is this character who doesn't care about the world. And then at the end, they just give their life for it and everybody gets saved. But um, when you're not planning these things and you don't want that to turn out that way, you're just going with the flow, then even, even something that you have seen or heard about a hundred times is just very powerful and very personal all of a sudden. Mm. And and that's something I, I really, really enjoy. So when it comes to cliches, um, I'm, I'm not against cliches whatsoever. I do love cliches. Um, when it when it occurs if it's organic well that's a another good question do you prefer to be on the player side of the table when something like that happens or would you rather be the dungeon master and the game master who set up this this um this scene for the characters to really really discover themselves in um i love to be a player but i'm a very very picky player when it comes to um, I'm a very, very picky player when it comes to um, dungeon masters. I would like to play a long campaign with. It's uh, it's such. A, um, I, I feel like I need to uh, resonate with that person to be able to give so. Much. It's a very private matter for me, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah. Who who you're spending six months or three months with, just going on the same adventure and. Basically, that person is deciding um, the occurrences, the uh, the hardships uh, thrown at my character, uh, and I'm I'm having a very strong bond with my character, and it's very personal to me. So, if there's someone who's just going to be toying about it and not taking it seriously, um, somehow that that magic sort of goes away from me. So, I'm not 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 sure at the DM really decides whether I want to be a player or not. When it comes to DMing, I only DM to my own own group and I, I've never I, I don't consider myself a professional DM. Um and as I'm very picky with my DMs as a player, um I I wouldn't wanna I, I feel like this weight upon my shoulders as well. If I have the, those expectations towards a DM, I have to be the DM that would satisfy the same expectations to my players yeah. so i've been pretty reserved about that so to speak <laughs> which is fair i mean it does seem like you've run games for your friends that they've enjoyed but everybody's got their their role at the table i think that some people don't want to be dungeon masters simply because it's not always because they don't feel like they can do it but it's because they feel that there's a better story for them to tell um as a player and in a collaborative storytelling experience like role-playing games, that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to tell a story together. I completely agree. And um, when it comes to roles around the table as well, um, the way we go about it, and I've seen other um, uh, groups doing the same thing, is like an election. So you are elected to be a DM for... Um, for a campaign, the campaign you t say in, on session zero that this campaign we run for six months, this campaign we run for a year, or this campaign we run until this or that is resolved, and for um, not not a predefined amount of time, and then um, we usually um, cast our votes on whose story or whose um, campaign setting was the most um, appealing. Uh, or just just you didn't want to get involved in another two-year campaign, so you just voted for someone who was proposing a three-month campaign. Um, and then everybody has a, a chance to basically run the, the next adventure, but it's not mandatory. So I also don't like the, the thing that everybody has to DM wants to understand it. No, that's a, I, like, I really like that method as well, because it can be when somebody at the table is really really wanting to explore something and they want to go, I just want to do this short little adventure. I want to do a dungeon crawl. I want to delve into, into the ideas of, uh, of mental illness through a short four hour adventure. Maybe we can play that next week and everyone at the table can get to, to talk about that and say, well, we can make a vote and it doesn't even have to be as formal as a vote. It can just be, I'd like to do that too. 
I wouldn't, and you just kind of count the numbers of what people are saying. That's a great idea, particularly with a close-knit group that you have a regular group, I guess. Yeah, and and it also teaches you a lesson as a DM, I feel like, because right after I finished the campaign, um, I did enjoy my campaign as a DM, and then someone else from the table... um, starts their own campaign and you realize that this person has taken notes and the next person has incorporated so many things that you incorporated in your own games before but put a different twist on it and brought in a lot a whole lot of new things that you didn't even dream of as a dm to be this fun and and taking risks so i don't feel like you can ever you can ever stop learning as a DM about new techniques and new things brought into brought into the games. And if you are a forever DM um, and you don't do your own homework of going out and watching so many YouTube channels and other mm. things to to always change your game, just having from your own group uh, other people who have experienced your own games, putting their own twist on it is a fantastic learning tool. Mm. It really is. I mean always always be learning that's the um the yeah. motto i think we can take away uh we are kind of starting to run short on time i think so we'll we'll wrap up the episode mm-hmm. there thank you so much for speaking with us today dante uh, if you could just tell us where people can find you online and find ark and forge oh thank you very much for the opportunity jeremy i really enjoyed it um arkhamforge.com is where you see um, our product what we have been talking about and that's what I'm I'm spending most of my time with when I'm not playing um, other than that uh, I compose music so most of that music is in um, the toolkit but other than that if you search for ZS Dante on YouTube or SoundCloud you will find some of my creations there as well fantastic thank you again um, everyone should go check out dante on soundcloud i think i'm already following you as well uh but if you could also say farewell to our listeners perhaps as crow or another character um that you've played in the past i love that um thank you fellas and um hopefully um see you in the next episode <laughs> That's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe on any podcast service that you listen to this to so you can uh, find out what's going to be the next episode, uh, which should be a really fun one as well. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Tell Me About Your D&D or on Twitter at Tell Me Your D&D. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can contact us through one of the social media accounts or you can send us an email. The email address is tellmeaboutyourdnd at gmail.com. I do have another podcast as well, which is Of Dice and DMs, also hosted by SoundCloud. Thank you, SoundCloud, for hosting us. We give you money, but we appreciate it as well. Music for the episode is by Plottington Bear, art for the episode is by Tori Tzeski, and until next time, stay safe, everyone. May all your hits be crits. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So join us on a real play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast, fantasy action, mystery, friendship.